Well, hey, have you ever gone to bed after a long day and looked back and reflected on your day and thought to yourself, what did I do today? Come on, raise your hand. Come on, you. Did I get anything done? Did I, did I move the ball forward? I, I don't even know if anything really happened today. How many ladies have ever been shopping? Don't raise your hand, but have been shopping and, 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 and you were kind of going around and, and you came home with nothing in your sack. That probably has never happened to any woman here, but there might be a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you guys, you could identify you went, you went hunting and you didn't come back with any deer, didn't come back with um, a rabbit, didn't come back with a raccoon. You didn't come back with nothing and just felt like the scurries depressed. Maybe you went fishing. You, we went from place to place trying to find some fish somewhere in the ocean. Didn't come back with anything. I think we can all probably say that at some point in our life we've just felt frustration of just going through the motions of trying to get something done, accomplishing something, fulfilling some kind of a purpose and just basically at the end of the day found ourselves just wandering. We've been talking about and in a series called Wandering Into Worthiness lately. And I just want to make this comment to you because I, I believe it's a key comment. If you're going to ever get anything, you need to make sure that you get to worthy. If you're going to go anywhere, you need to make sure that wherever you go, you get to worthy. Turn to your neighbor and help him preach this morning. Just tell him, get to worthy. Just go ahead. Just get to worthy. You got to get to worthy. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure there's some in this room that when you were growing up, you had this little recording in your mind. I'll never be attractive. I'll never be intelligent. I'll never be uh, some person that can say they graduated with a great degree from a pre prestigious university. Uh, I'll never be a techie. <laughs> I'll never figure out how to work a smartphone. Uh, I I I'm never going to be a person that deserves anything. I'm never going to be good enough and probably the best I can do is just settle for less because that's really all I deserve and all I can ever imagine. And so we settle many times for just less. I remember one time the Lord spoke to my heart and, and he just said, son, you're just settling for much less than I have for you. I think we can all say that at some point We've settled for less. I remember my story, my, my parents, we grew up and, and uh, we grew up in a very, you know, simple uh, home, very, you know, I would call it small. My mom would not say it was small, but I called it small. Um, and and, and one, one day my dad, um, he retired and, and uh, my mom's parents uh, lived in the other side of the state and said, hey, why don't you... Why don't y'all move down here and, and uh, come, you know, live in, around here and you were from this area anyway and, and you could help us with the business and things like that. And, and um, so my parents went down there and um, my grandfather, my mom's dad, said, I want to take you out to a house that I bought and um, I want to I give it to you. And... Uh, I happened to be there during that time and we walked into this house and, and this was like amazing. It was, it was a two-car garage. We never had a two-car garage. We had two barns. And uh, 
Not a, no car ever went into a barn. And uh, it, it, had, it, had, um, it had a screened-in back porch. It had a swinging bed, a bed that was on chains swinging. It was a mammoth uh, screened-in porch and this nice-sized kitchen and dining room and looked out across a field in the front and a field in the back and outside on the edge of town and then walked into the living room and we had vaulted ceiling and, and a stone fireplace and four bedrooms and two-and-a-half baths. And I'm like, holy moly, this is amazing. And, 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 and it was like so big that I literally was doing cartwheels on the living room floor. I was like, like, look at this. This is so much room. Look at this. And my mother was being very quiet and she wasn't saying much. And, and, uh, and, and it kind of caught me off guard and my dad as well. And finally I, I said, mom, you're not talking. What's wrong? No, nothing. Nothing's wrong. Uh, I said, no, is it, you, you, you smell gas? Because usually my mom always smells gas. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, some something not not the human gas. I'm just you know I'm just <laughs> clarify that just for. But she's always smelling. I smell gas. I smell gas. And yeah, I don't know. But it, I, would you smell gas? You know, no, no. What, what's wrong? You know the leak in the roof is there too, too much yard. What's what's wrong? And finally, my mom said, "I I don't know if we can live here." I said, "Well, why 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 would you say that?" She goes, "I I." I don't feel we deserve this. It's too, too big. We don't deserve this. And it was like this moment. Now, my mom has stricken this from her memory, so if you asked her about this, she would say, I don't remember saying that, but she said it. I'll guarantee you she said it. And the reason she said it was because my heart went just, Whoo. and I looked at her, I'm like, what? Don't, don't say that again. Don't let Gramps hear you say that. You're about to ruin the best things ever happened to this family. Are you kidding me? What do you mean you don't deserve it? I don't deserve it. Yes, you deserve it. We all deserve it. I deserve it. <laughs> well, I think in our life we can probably all come to agreement that there's been times when we felt like I don't feel worthy of this thing that's been given to me. Can I just say that in our Christian walk with the Lord, there are many times the enemy comes knocking on our door, not just once, not just twice, even after you come to know Jesus and he says, hey, by the way, you're not worthy. You might have been worthy last week, but you're not worthy this week. You might have been worthy at that time where you were broken and contrite and, and you gave your heart to Jesus, uh, but you've messed up quite a few times between now and then. And I cannot just tell you, you're not worthy. All this good stuff that, that God's got, you, 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 you don't cut the cake. You are not worthy. And today I want to deal with this concept of being worthy because when Jesus died on that cross and says, it is finished, whether you understand it or not, whether it makes sense to you or not, you have been made worthy. Aren't you glad about that? You've been made worthy. Come on, give God some praise. Thank you for that, Father. I've been made worthy, been made worthy to have a relationship with a living God, made worthy to walk about this earth uh, with a purpose and a plan and a ministry and a gift uh, and empowerment by the Holy Spirit. You, my friend, have been made worthy. And what happens when you realize the power of being made worthy? Everything begins to change. I want to give you quickly this morning six things that happen Six things that happen to your life when worthiness walks in. Number one, when you begin to understand and walk in the revelation of your worthiness, it begins to create boldness within your heart. We have to look no further than the story of Gideon. 
Gideon, who's thrashing wheat in a wine press. Can I just tell you, you don't thrash wheat in a wine press, you, you, you smash grapes in a wine press. And he's hiding from the Midianites, trying not to make sure that they found him out and just trying to make sure they didn't rob him of his meal and of his substance that he had gained for his family. And he's in fear and he's in, living in inferiority and he feels like a nothing person. And about this time, an angel appears to him. You can find it in Judges chapter 6. And the angel says to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Excuse me? The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. I'm in a wine press, thrashing wheat. I don't think you got the right guy, whoever you are. Oh, no, I know who you are, and I know what you're doing. And I'm calling you out because you are a valiant warrior. He challenges him, Gideon does, and says, no, let me just tell you, whoever you think you're talking to, I'm not a valiant warrior. In fact, my family is the least family of the tribe of Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. So that basically makes me the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the totem pole. So whatever you got cooking in your mind, you got the wrong guy. How many have ever felt like you've been that person, right? I'm just the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. I'm, I'm underneath the bottom. And so the angel continues to speak to him and challenge him about his, the planet God had for him. And would go on to say then in chapter 7 that Gideon rose up to the challenge and would go and attack the Midianites with 300 men, thousands and thousands against, it was the Ukraine versus Russia scenario, come on, years ago. And he, and he comes against them with a trumpet and a, and a horn. And, and, and the Bible says that when they blew their horns and they crashed their um, pitchers that they had in their hand, they all yelled and cried out together, all 300 warriors that had surrounded the enemy, and they shouted out as loud as they could, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Well, I can understand a sword for the Lord. Why would they even include Gideon in this little phrase? Because Gideon means a valiant warrior. Now, just a few months earlier, Gideon, the valiant warrior, was in a wine press thrashing wheat, feeling so low and feeling totally defeated. But when the word of the Lord comes to you and you realize and get the revelation that you have been made worthy, then everything begins to change. And so much so that even the entire nation rallies to this young man who had felt so unworthy and so inferior a few months ago. They rallied to him so much so that they're like, yes, God can do this because he's spoken to us and Gideon has spoken to us. They put Gideon in the same, same capsule, same sentence with the Lord. I'm telling you, when you walk in the understanding that you've been made worthy, a boldness comes to you that seeps out into other people and suddenly you begin to do things and say things and go places you never thought you could ever go and say and do because why? The credible understanding of the worthiness of God has enveloped your heart and it changes everything. You are made worthy. 
No matter what God's plan looks like in our lives, his hand is on you to wage war against the enemy in whatever influence you are in at that moment. And Gideon wasn't a, he wasn't a, he really wasn't a scared farmer. Not really. Yet that's how he was behaving. He was behaving like a scared farmer because he didn't know who he was. No one had really told him and tapped into the fact that he was actually a valiant warrior inside. How many people, I wonder, in the Christian world, in the church, even in this room, are really thrashing wheat in a wine press when, when actually God's call for you is so much higher? The primary goal of the angel at that moment of their meeting was to pull the soon-to-be judge out of his sense of worthlessness and into this clarifying light of Yahweh's perspective and to show him the value that Gideon would bring to the world. Can I tell you this morning that you bring value to the world and your value isn't supposed to be spent uh, in a wine press threshing wheat, uh, but God's got so much more for you. He's got a big house, if you wouldn't. In, in this world, not just, uh, not just later, he's got a big house for you right now. He wants to move you into, and he said, I'm looking for somebody that will accept the fact that you have worth and value in my eyes. In my eyes. And God's perspective of us is often so unbelievable, isn't it? So foreign to our own belief system, so foreign to the way we conduct our lives, that when the revelation of our worth comes to us, our value comes to us, it's like a bolt of lightning coming out of the skies into our desensitized soul, and, and, it, and it jolts us away from this misplaced shadow of our experience and into the truth, uh, and into the truth of God's reality. God wants to bolt you, he wants to hit you with a lightning bolt this morning, if you would, of your worth and of your value and of your purpose uh, and God's plan for your life. Amen. And Gideon was more than just the sum of his cowardly parts. He was more than his circumstances. He actually was a valiant warrior touched by an encounter with God. And you, my friend, are too. Even if you are hiding in a wine press, even if you're running from an enemy, even if you're more humiliated now than you've ever been before in your life, uh, even if intimidation and fear have been your constant companions, today God's tugging on your heart uh, and saying, come out of the shadows uh, because my hand is upon your life. Uh, lift up your head and begin to act like who you really are in me, in Christ. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Give God some praise this morning. Amen. Amen. When you understand your worth, you become bold. Number two, he puts a message within your mouth. It was Isaiah who, in Isaiah chapter six, who, again, so many people in the Bible are just like us, who never understood their value and worth until they had some encounter with God. In Isaiah chapter 6, we don't have time to read it, but he has this incredible revelation of God and seraphim are, you know, bounce around these angelic heavenly type of entities are flying around and, and, and one of them takes the coal from the altar and, and, and takes this bit of coal and he touches Isaiah's lips. And, 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 and then Isaiah begins to declare, I'm a man of unclean lips, he says. 
and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. But yet my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then the seraphim flew to him with a burning coal in his hand, which was taken from the altar with the tongs, and he touched my mouth with it. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away. Don't you know you need to hear that? And your sins have been forgiven. Sometimes you've got to remind yourself, your sins have been forgiven. Your iniquity has been taken away. You're not, come on, you may have made some mistakes since you've come to know Christ, but still, you're forgiven. Still, if you come to the cross, it's washed away. You have been touched by the hand and the tongs of a coal from a living altar. And then I heard the Lord, the voice of the Lord saying, well, who shall I send and who will go for us? In other words, he's hearing God say, there's so many people in the world that need to be touched by the hand of God. Oh, there's so much need. There's so many people that just need some good news, that need to know they're valued, that need to know that there was a, a Savior that died for them, that they can be saved, that they can be redeemed, that they can be bought back, they can be purchased by the blood of the Lamb. And, and he says, who's going to go, God? God says, I say, who's going to go? And I say, he's convicted. And he goes, I, I will go. Here am I. Send me. When you understand that you are valued and that God has put his hand on you and he's touched your lips with the understanding that you are valuable, then you have a message. You have something to say. And you have something that he's put in your mouth. Isaiah said, send me. I'm just looking for an opportunity, God, send me. When I was 19, I was reminded by the Lord through a prophetic word that the hand of God was upon my life. I felt that, but it was like that Paul reminding Timothy, you know, hey, listen, that same thing's within your grandmother, your mother, Lois, it's in you also. I mean, stir this thing, fan it in the flame. And, and I, I, I made a decision with my mind, I'm going to, I'm going to act like I'm worthy. And I'm going to forget about my issues that I have. How many know when you're 19, you have some issues? How many know when you're 90, you have some issues? Come on. You're always going to have issues. And when I decided, you know what, I'm going to forget about my issues and I'm just going to act like I'm, my mouth's been touched by the coal from the altar. I, I started finding places to share the good news. I didn't know I was, I, was I, didn't, I didn't have a pulpit. I had no church saying, hey, come over here and pastor us. I didn't even know I was even really called to be a pastor. I just knew that my mouth had been touched by the coal from the altar and that I had value and worth in the hand and the sight of God. So I began to go to juvenile detention facilities. I mean, no, that's a good place to go to tell people about the good news because they can't go nowhere. A captive audience. And they probably like, you know, I don't know who you are, but bless your heart. And I stumble all over myself and I break out a passage and I remember my first sermon I ever preached, I'm like, hey, we're gonna talk about this passage, but I don't even really know what it means. I said that actually. I said, I have no idea what this means. I'm like, I mean, I'm like embarrassed I even... But God, and I would sit there and I would talk to these juvenile delinquents and the presence of God would come in that little room. And even though I didn't really understand what I was talking about, God would show up. These in, juvenile inmates would start weeping and crying. I started weeping and crying. This happened over and over again. 
And God's presence will move in. I, I would say, can I put my hand on your shoulder? Can I, can I pray for you, young man? And I'm 19. I'm like, can I pray for you, young man? <laughs> yes. And God showed up. I don't know what you think you've done to disqualify yourself from God's value. But there's a message in your mouth. There's a word in your heart. And God wants you to speak it. And every time, let me just say this in case, in case you didn't realize it, the very moment you make a, a thought, a thought comes to you which is from the Holy Spirit, you know you need to probably tell your coworker, your classmate, your peer about your relationship with Jesus. The very next thought will be from the enemy saying, you're not worth it. You have no value. You have no, you have no right to say anything about God. You know I'm telling you the truth. And that's even more reason why you need to say something. Number three, when you understand you have worth, it puts meaning into your calling. Mary, Luke chapter one, verse 34, how will this be, she says to the angel who says that she's gonna give birth to the Messiah. How can this be? I'm I'm a virgin. In other words, she was saying, what we all say, how, how can I be used? God, how can you use me? I don't qualify. I, I, I don't meet the standards. I, I, how? And then she didn't know what to do. She, she, she goes to Elizabeth. She, the Lord doesn't thank you, Lord, anyway. Thank God he does things despite what we feel. And he goes to, she goes to Elizabeth. Let me, tell, let me tell you something. There's a reason why she went to Elizabeth. She went to spend some time with Elizabeth's house, and when she walked into Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth said to her, oh my goodness, uh, how great it is to to be the the mother of the Messiah, basically, I'm paraphrasing all this, and she confirms to Mary that what's going on inside of her actually was the work of God. And and it finally dawns on Mary, oh my goodness, uh, even in my worthlessness, uh, God has decided to use me. Even though it seems like it's impossible, he's decided to use me, and she breaks out into a song. You know you've been made worthy when you break out into a song. My soul does magnify the Lord. My soul does magnify the Lord. My soul does magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. You have it in your Bible. It's in your Bible. It's not probably how it went, but it's something like that. Mary accepted her worthiness and realized that her worthiness was somehow, listen to me, she realized that somehow her worthiness was going to have an effect upon the world. Her worthiness had meaning, and when she accepted her worthiness, What she was actually doing was releasing a revelation of Christ into the world. Had she not come to a place of worthiness, the question is, I wonder, had not the Christ ever been revealed? God is waiting to be birthed out of us 
But he's waiting for you to come to a revelation that yes, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't seem like I'm the candidate that qualifies, but I'm going to believe your word. Oh God, I've been made worthy, and so I'm going to walk this thing out. And when you begin to walk into your worthiness, then the revelation of Christ becomes to come into the earth. That's good news to me. I think that's a good plain time to give God some praise. And number four, worthiness places authority into my assignment. It places authority into my assignment. I think of Moses. He sees this burning bush. He's out on the wilderness for 40 years taking care of a bunch of stinking sheep. He spent his first 40 years in the Pharaoh's court being groomed to be a great leader. He had been a great leader at some point. In the Egyptian culture, he was one of those men, those rare men that would eat dinner and have the access to the king, the Pharaoh, the greatest nation in the world at that time. But through some mistakes he'd made, he got thrown out of Egypt and for 40 years, the next 40 years, he's a nobody. And no doubt he spent the next 40, those 40 years in the wilderness reflecting about his unworthiness until I love those times when the Lord shows up and for him it was a burning bush. And he sees this bush. It wasn't, it wasn't strange for a bush to burn in those days. It's hot out there. Things just would just burn, burn. But this wasn't being burned up. It was continuing to burn. And he goes, this is strange. I'm going to go see why this bush isn't just flaming out. And as he approaches the bush, listen to me, he approaches the bush, a voice comes from that bush, which was the God, God was getting his attention, and says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I've spent most of my life when reading that scripture going, oh wow, that was a holy moment, it was a holy ground. But there was actually something I believe underneath that taking place. Because in that culture, in that time, when you took off your shoe in the presence of somebody else, you were actually saying, I'm giving up my authority to you. We see that in the book of, of, of Ruth, where Boaz has been given the opportunity to redeem Naomi and Ruth and the property of Naomi. And in chapter 4 of that book, he realizes, though, he can't redeem, he can't, he can't adopt them, he can't bring them into his family unless he first goes to the first rightful kinsman redeemer, the first person that's related to them. He's the second, but he's got to go to the first and give him that opportunity. And he tells him about this opportunity, he finds him to, in the city gate, and he says, There's, you have an opportunity to redeem uh, uh, um, the property of, of Naomi. And the guy goes, oh, cool, I need more property. Absolutely, I'm going to do it. And he goes, oh, by the way, with that property comes Naomi and, and Ruth. And, uh, you know, you got to take them too. He goes, oh, no, I, I got enough women in my life telling me what to do. No, 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 no. You take them. And that's when Boaz said, absolutely. And so the first, the first man, kinsman redeemer, took off his sandal in front of all the elders 
and said, because I'm taking off my sandal, I'm giving you the authority to do what you want to do. It was, a, it was a surrender of authority. So, so when God says to Moses, this is holy ground, take off your sandals, what he was also saying was, you need to understand, I'm asking you to surrender your authority and give it to me so I can begin to move into your life with my authority. Come on, somebody. So when Moses walked back into Egypt, oh yeah, he tried to talk his way out of it. I've stuttered, I have these problems, I can't do it. God said, I don't care what you say. You got my, you know, you took off your shoe. You know, you got what you got. You, you have what you need, so go on. And so I believe when he walked into the Pharaoh's court, something had transformed inside of him. In that journey from the burning bush to Pharaoh's court, uh, he really began to understand that he had a purpose, he had a call, he had the anointing of God, and he was found to be worthy. And with that worthiness, came the authority of God. He'd walk in there and go, hey, 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 hey. Let my people go. That's what God's saying. Let them go. Who do you think you are? I'm a burning bush, sandal-giving guy. That's who I am. Don't mess with our God. Oh, who's your God? Okay, 10 plagues later. Okay, you want us to go? Okay, thank you. You understand, when you walk into your worth and your value, you walk into the spiritual authority that God has given you from the very beginning, a brand new authority, authority like you've never had before. He walked out of Egypt with man's authority, but he walked back into Egypt with God's authority, and that's a game changer. And number five, when you understand your worthiness, it activates your obedience. It activates your obedience. John chapter 1, John the Baptist is down by the river, and he's baptizing people, he's preaching, and he's saying, chapter 1, verse 26, among you stands one who you do not know, and he's one who comes after me in the straps of whom sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He's saying, there's coming a guy who is going to be so powerful, he's going to be the Messiah, that I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. What he's saying is, in those days, it was the servant's job to take off the shoes of the master. And what he was saying was, there's a guy coming onto the scene at some point, I don't know when, but he's going to come on the scene, and I don't have, I don't have even the, the standing to even take off his, I'm not, I'm not even a servant, I'm not even worth that of a servant to even take off his shoes. And so, Jesus shows up, Matthew chapter 3, I love this, Message Bible. Jesus appeared, arriving at the Jordan River from Galilee. And he wanted John to, to baptize him, and John objected. And he says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized, not you. And I like this. But Jesus insisted and said, do it. <laughs> do it. God's putting all things together for right. There's coming together right now in this baptism God's kingdom into the earth. I, I, I believe it went something like this. John's, I mean, he's like, at that point, like the greatest guy, the most holy man in the culture. There's nobody else like him. 
He's out there, he's fasting, he's, he's praying, he's holy, he's seeking God, he's baptized, he's preaching these incredible messages, and then walks Jesus, and he goes, oh, uh, yeah, no, Jesus, uh, look, I, 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 can't, I can't do it. You can't do it? Mm-mm. And, and here's, here in the paragraph, here's what Jesus said. John, now I can see him standing in the river. John, whatever you got to do to get to worthy, you better get to it quick. Excuse me? Whatever you got to do to get to worthy, you better get to it quick. Because we got an entire kingdom that needs to be made manifest into the earth. We don't have time to be messing around. I got a few short years, if you would, to get things done, to get things right, to restore mankind back to this right, proper relationship with God the Father. Whatever you got to do to get to worthy, you better get to it now because you need to baptize me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Somehow, I just got to worthy. I just got to worthy. I feel worthy. For some reason, I just feel worthy. And he baptized him. And that ushered in the beginning, if you would, of the kingdom of God into the earth. It was a moment. It was a revelation that he had showed up on your doorstep in your life. It's your house on your job in your bed. And he's saying to you, whatever you got to do to get to worthy, get to worthy. I don't think y'all hear me. I don't, I don't think you hear me. Yeah, but what? Yeah, but you don't, excuse me? <laughs> okay, well, Maybe next week. Come back next week, Jesus, when I, when I got my act a little bit better. Excuse me? Well, listen, me and my wife, hey, we haven't been getting along together. I'm really not, you know, I need to get on the same path. Excuse me? Whatever you got to do, you better get to worthy. And you need to get to worthy now. Which brings us to number six, our last worship team, come please. When you come to worthiness, it positions you to strengthen the church. It positions you to strengthen me. And it positions me to strengthen you. And it positions us to strengthen our community. When you come to worthiness. I take us to the life of Peter. And it was Peter that was with the other 11 disciples at the time of the evening of Jesus' death. And Jesus pulls out this bowl. And the Bible tells us that he puts on the servant's towel. Mm. I love that passage. You ain't nobody until you're a servant. He puts on the servant's towel, the Messiah, the King of kings, the, the, the Lord of lords, the, the one in a few, a few short days would be with the Father, seated in the right hand of the Father. He, he comes uh, to, the, to the disciples. He comes to Peter, and he kneels down. Peter goes, hey, 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 hey. What you doing? He goes, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash your feet. 
<laughs> no, don't think so. Not on my watch. Nope, Jesus, you're not wa- washing my feet. I don't think that's going to happen. And Jesus goes, really? I'm going to wash your feet. And if I don't wash your feet, then you will not have any ministry. Your whole purpose in this world, the only reason you're alive, Peter, the only reason that God birthed you from the foundations of the earth into this season, into this culture, into this moment, and everything God has planned for you from this point on demands that I wash your feet. But Jesus, you can't wash my feet. Why? Because I'm not, I'm not worthy. I'm a nobody. I'm a fisherman that cusses. I can't help myself. My mouth just goes wherever it wants to go. I say things I shouldn't say. I, I do things I shouldn't do. I'm unworthy. I, I need to be washing your feet. Give me the towel. Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. And when Peter realizes that if he doesn't get his feet washed, if he doesn't move into worthiness, then really his whole life is for nothing. Think about that. His whole life has no meaning because he refused to move to worthiness. And when Jesus said that to him, you will not have any part in my kingdom. You have no part to play. There's nothing for you to do, Peter, if you don't come to a point of worthiness. Now, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter said, Jesus, don't wash just my feet. Wash my hands. Wash my head. I don't do the right things. Hands, speak of what I do, my works. My head, I, my thoughts, it represents my thoughts. I, I don't think the right things. I, I, I just, I don't think right. I, I, I think negative sometimes. I, I think with fear. I, I think with doubt and unbelief. God, oh God, wash my thoughts, wash my head, wash my hands. Cause my life to be a life of worthiness, oh God. Jesus, that's okay. I just need to wash your feet. I think you got the picture. And Peter would walk out of that room and short time afterwards would be one of the first preachers of the gospel. Would walk out of the upper room with the fire of God burning in his belly. And he would preach a message with the Holy Ghost. 3,000 people there on the streets of that busy place of Jerusalem would come to know Jesus on the spot. Why? Because one man came and found worthiness.
whatever you have to do, get to worthy. When the enemy comes knocking on your door and on your mind, get to worthy. When people tell you you're no good, washed up, have no value, mean nothing, get to worthy. Get to worthy. Get to worthy. you bow your heads this morning. There's some people in this room this morning maybe there was a time where you felt like you were worthy and you gave your heart to Jesus and you experienced the touch of God upon your life and you gave your heart to him and surrendered your life Somehow the world has gotten in the way and you found yourself away from him. It took everything in your power just to get here this morning. Someone would ask you, do you feel worthy? You would say, absolutely not. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I think I did at one time, but I don't think he wants anything to do with me now. I challenge that thought. Maybe you're one that came here and you've never even heard about the thought that you could be saved. That God gave his son so you could be redeemed and bought back and put into proper relationship with the Father. You don't need to go to a priest to pray for you and through you, to you, to God for you. So today I come and I say, Jesus has made the opportunity for you to be worthy. And here's the, the good news, all you need to do is say, yeah, I receive that. And I'm going to ask Jesus to come into my heart. I'm going to ask him to come into my life. And I'm going to surrender my life to him. And I'm going to let him begin to use my life. I'm not taking control of my life anymore. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Right here, I'm not going to have you do nothing but just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. We say, Pastor, today, I want to know Jesus. I'm going to surrender my life. I'm going to lay my life down for him today. Would you raise your hand? I want to know Jesus. Yes. Yes. Come on. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Yes. I see those two hands. Come on. I want to know him as my Lord and my Savior. I'm coming to Christ today. I'm coming back to the Lord. I'm making him the Lord of my life. Come on, church. I want to just pray a prayer with those that raised their hand this morning. I want you to repeat this prayer. In fact, I'm going to ask us all to pray this prayer. I call it a sinner's prayer. Would you say this with me, Lord Jesus? I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me my sins. Thank you for making me worthy for something I didn't do. I surrender everything I have from this point on my life is yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Can we give God some praise for those that prayed that prayer this morning? Thank you for praying that prayer. Amen. Amen. We have connect cards for those that pray. We're not done yet. We're not done. We have some connect cards for those that prayed that prayer. We would like for you to fill that out. 
And we'd like to take it out to the front and there by the front doors. We want to give you a Bible. We want to give you some materials that read during the week that tells you a little bit about what you just experienced today called salvation. God has made you worthy.